we can turn methane from a liability into an asset if we trap it and if we convert it into either power or fuels we can make this into a second revenue stream to our farms Welcome back, everyone, to the Dairy Science Digest. This is a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluell from the University of Missouri Dairy Team. And today, we're going to be focused on a topic that might feel bigger than your farm gate. But it's really something that we all need to be thinking about, and it's the United States Dairy's Pathway to climate neutrality. And the reason why this is so important to all of our listeners is because the dairy industry has declared that we will be net zero greenhouse gas emission by 2050. And each and every one of you listeners are part of the process. So here today to help us better understand the details on this specific topic is Dr. Frank Mittenler from the UC Davis campus. And he co-authored the symposium review titled Defining a Pathway to Climate Neutrality for the U.S. Dairy Cattle Production. And this is the month's featured article in press from the Journal of Dairy Science. So before we really get going, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yes, first, hello, everybody. And uh, it's a pleasure for me to talk to you. I'm in Andalusia, Spain today. Talk to the dairy industry of Spain. And just like dairy industries all over the world, everybody wants to know what is it that we need to do on the climate side of things. Because consumers are asked drugs they consume to be as climate neutral as possible. What does it mean to farmers? Very good. So climate change isn't particularly a very popular topic for most of the dairy producers that I talk with. But chances are, if, if they're shipping grade A milk to a co-op, this commitment has been determined. So I was hoping we could start off the topic today with discussion or talking points that our industry could use to help explain how much we've actually already improved since 1950. Yeah, okay. So in, in 1950, in the United States, we used to have 25 million dairy cows, 25 in 1950. Today, we have 9 million, so much fewer cows. So we went from 25 to 9 million, but with these much fewer cows today, we are producing 60, 60. 60% more milk. That means between 1950 and today, we have reduced our carbon footprint per glass of milk by two thirds. Wow, that's, that's a fabulous talking point. Yes. No, that is, that, is, that is truly astounding, okay? It's truly astounding. We are having nine, nine million dairy cows today in this country. We have 9.5 million horses, okay? Everybody complains about cows. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting uh, to put it into perspective, right? right. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything bad about horses here. I'm just saying, let's, let's put things into perspective. We now have as many dairy cows in the United States as we did in 1880. Wow. But we are producing milk for 10 times more people. That's fantastic. So what we have achieved in this country is nothing short of a miracle. Okay? And I am really tired of people feeling that they need to defend themselves. Mm. Why don't you look at these numbers and be proud of extreme achievements that our industry has shown over the last few decades, really? The efficiency of how much milk we produce and the emissions related to the unit of milk that we produce has gone into no other direction than one that we should be very, very proud of. Very proud of. 
Could you help us describe in a tangible way how to make these intangible or shadowy measurements a little more transparent to us? Yeah, of course, this is a complex issue. And let me explain something really first, which is what is the impact of human activity on climate? It generally is related to so-called greenhouse gases that could be carbon dioxide, mainly related to fossil fuel use, the use of oil, coal, and gas. It could be methane, mainly related to belching animals, rice paddies, landfills, or it could be nitrous oxide. So these are three main greenhouse gases, CO2, methane, and nitrous oxide. And wherever humans emit those gases, these gases go into the outer atmosphere and they form a shield. And this shield traps solar heat from the sun and retains it in our atmosphere. And that causes warming. Now, I understand that people are worried about this and wonder, is it really true that our industry contributes to that? And the answer to it is the impact that is portrayed in the media as the impact we have on climate is overblown. It's not 50%. It's not 20%. The United States is 2% of all greenhouse gases that are associated to dairies. And you might say that's not very much. But if every sector were to say my impact is not very much, then nobody would have to worry. My take home to you is while it's not very much, we still have to play our role. That role that we have to play is mainly circled around one gas, and that's methane. And so it, just to reiterate, 2% is the contributions of the United States dairy industry to the greenhouse gas emissions. I was wondering if you could kind of talk us through some of the terminology. What are some of the targets or the topics that are anchoring these concepts around quantifying that 2%? Right. So first, the 2% is not global. So of all U.S. greenhouse gases combined, that's cars, trucks, trains, planes, power plants, livestock, and so on, of all these sources, U.S. dairy producers contributed 2% of the total in our country. I see. And so now the terminology that we have used in our paper of achieving climate neutrality refers to a point in the future by which our dairy sector is climate neutral, meaning it no longer adds any additional warming to our planet, which is really the ultimate goal, because the goal of the Paris Climate Accord and that we are part of as the U.S. is to not add additional warming to our planet. The question is, how do we get there? and by when, and that's what our paper describes. But it feels a, a bit like a moving target. So the way the dairy industry defines their path to net zero greenhouse gases, approach, we are saying, look, the reason why we care about greenhouse gases is not because we are producing gases, it's because these gases produce warming, and warming is what it's all about. And our calculations are finding out at what point in the future we don't cause any additional warming at all. And we are trying to really lead the U.S. dairy industry along this path to make them understand it's not about you reducing methane to zero. You don't mm -hmm. have to reduce nitrous oxide to zero. You don't have to reduce CO2 to zero. What you need to do is rethink methane. Why methane? 
because methane is the gas that is the Achilles heel of animal agriculture. Why so? Because it is the gas that we emit of the most, and it's a gas that's short-lived, and when you reduce it, you reduce warming. Mm. So methane represents the majority of our greenhouse gas emissions at, at that 62%. Could you describe the differences between enteric methane and managed manure methane losses? Yeah, yes, I can. So in general, the main methane contribution from dairies is really through belching by cows. So every time we feed energy to cows, Every time we do that, we lose about 10% of the energy in the form of methane, enteric methane. That's methane they belch out. That's net energy loss, not just an environmental issue, but it's also a financial issue sure. because that's 10% of the energy we are feeding to those animals that's going off as methane. It's an energy loss to our production system. Mm -hmm. Equally, when our manure that's stored in lagoons, for example, gives off methane to the air, that's another energy loss. Now, I explain it to many people who are not in this field the following way. I say, if you were to live in Minnesota and your kids were to open the doors and the windows in the winter, <laughs> what would you say? You would say, shut those windows and doors. Otherwise, you're wasting energy. You're wasting money. Now, the same thing is what we do when we don't care about wasting methane from the cows. Methane is nothing other than energy. And please remember that methane is high in energy. Methane can be made into power. Methane can be made into fuels to run vehicles. If we lose methane, we lose not just something to the atmosphere that causes global warming, but we are losing money. It is a problem if we don't manage it, if we just ignore it. And this is really important to your listeners. Mm -hmm. We can turn methane from a liability into an asset because if we trap it and if we convert it into either power or fuels, we can make this into a second revenue stream to our farms. And here in California, we're doing that. I like the sound of that. Absolutely. And so how do you go about doing that? So here in California, we have the strictest laws in the country on environmental issues. We have a law that mandates a 40% reduction of methane to be achieved by the year 2030. And much to the surprise of our dairymen, the legislators decided not to achieve this 40% reduction, for zero that is, 40, mm -hmm. not to achieve this reduction through using the cane approach of rules, regulations, and fines, but instead use the, the carrot approach mm -hmm. of financially incentivizing methane reductions. So the state of California partnered with the dairy industry to cover lagoons and trap the biogas, 60, 60, 60% of which is methane. Mm. They are trapping the biogas, they're cleaning it up, and they're making that biogas into transportation fuels mm. so that the transportation fuels can power semi-trucks and buses. And this conversion, this pathway of dairy biogas to transportation fuels generates very high carbon credits. Just to give you an idea, if the average cow produces $4,000 per year in milk revenue, mm -hmm. this biogas to transportation fuel per cow equates to one and a half to $2,000 per cow. Oh, wow. So we're talking about a significant additional revenue stream. And as a result, our farmers are flocking around this technology. 
we have had 20 digesters about five years ago in California. Half of them didn't work. Then we used a different type of technology. Now we have 200 digesters. Soon we'll have 400. And so far we have reduced about 30% of the methane that we are supposed to reduce. So we have been wildly successful in doing what the state of California wants us to do while making money doing so. That sounds very exciting. And this has generated a new gold rush in the state. That's fantastic. And I guess as I stand here listening, thinking about the installation of upwards of 400 different digesters across the state, who who harbors those costs or what's the cost per cow typically for putting in the biogas capturing system over a lagoon? So there are different models. There's the model of where a dairyman buys and operates the digester, the covered lagoon. But that model is not, not very popular because dairymen want to milk cows and not be a power plant operator. <laughs> there are the more common model is that a professional company comes in, a digester developer, and says, I will build, I will pay for, I will manage and operate a digester for you. So this will be my digester. All you do is give me your manure and you get a fee for it. And I will take care of your manure. Hmm. You no longer deal with your manure, I deal with your manure. When the energy is extracted from that manure through anaerobic digestion, when I have extracted the, the energy and sold it off into fuel for vehicles, then you get a fee for the manure that you're giving me. So this biogas is made into transportation fuels and is then used to power semi-trucks and buses. This new renewable natural gas that originated from dairy biogas is now replacing diesel. And that's why the state of California likes it so much. Because first of all, when you cover a lagoon, you no longer off-gas into the air. So you have reduced that emission source. And secondly, you're generating transportation fuels that now replace diesel on the streets and therefore reduces emissions in the transportation sector. This is why the state of California pays the so-called low-carbon fuel standard credits, which are very high. And as a result of a few years of dairymen converting their dairies to covered lagoon dairies, we have seen this 30% reduction of methane, which is sensational. Mm -hmm. The state of California has put 2% of all public money to reduce methane into the dairy sector. 2% of all public monies to reduce methane went into the dairy sector. And the dairies that received that money have reduced 30%, 3-0, of all methane from the state of California. So that's a 15-time X yes. return mm -hmm. on investment. And that is sensational. If we have any legislators listening to the podcast, it sounds like really the the carrot approach might be the way. Are there other resources that farms could improve? Say, I live in a part of the world where lagoons, we, we don't have the topography to allow for the installation of lagoons. Um, so what would a farm be able to use to improve their emissions in, in those parts of the nation? Well, so first of all, the reason why we use covered lagoons in California is because it's warm. We don't really have freezing conditions. But where you do have freezing conditions, you can use different types of digesters. Some of them are heated. Some of them are operated in, in states like New York or 
Minnesota or so, so they can be operated in other states, those that are cold as well. But in addition to waste management, one can also reduce methane emission in particular through feed additives. And here, we are not at a point yet where you just go into the feed store and you buy some additive to reduce methane. But in five years, we will be at that point. At UC Davis and some other universities in the country, we've done research on various feed additives. And these additives have shown to reduce the methane that cows belch out by anywhere between 20 to 40%. Right now, if you use those additives, you're not getting paid for it. But in the future, my prediction is you will. So what I'm telling you is, whether it's on the manure side or whether it's on the feed side, or on other sites like carbon sequestration, keep an eye out on this whole issue of greenhouse gas reduction, particularly methane reduction, because the legislature knows and the agencies regulating you know that a reduction of methane equates to a reduction of warming. It sounds like you've got the trifecta of, of design that's going to be absolutely perfect for, for our dairy industry moving forward. And we in agriculture will do that. We will reduce methane and therefore become part of the climate solution. And that will come at a price. And you, the dairyman in our country, will benefit from that. So if you reduce methane 20 or 30 or 40 percent, then this strong reduction of methane will offset the other greenhouse gases your dairy emits, getting you to a point of climate neutrality to the point where your dairy has no longer an impact on warming of our planet. And if you go beyond that point, then you are reducing warming and you can sell those credits to the fossil fuel industry, BP, uh, Texaco, BMW, Mercedes, and others. That's already happening in California. People are now making money by reducing greenhouse gases, and that's an additional income stream. So if we could rewind just a little bit and go back, I know you said it wasn't very popular for dairy producers to do that first option where the dairyman purchases the the digester. But let's say let's say they do want to keep everything in-house, independent. What would be a common cost per cow or per farm to operate a digester annually? So I, I did not say that it's not popular. In fact, if a dairy has the financial means to do it, then they probably would do it because they would break even pretty quickly mm-hmm. because the credits you get, and it's not just California dairies who can do it. You can be in Minnesota or in Wisconsin, New York, and sell your credits to the California market today. Mm-hmm. The California market will buy you credits as much as they buy California dairy credits. What is the size of a dairy you have to run to have a covered lagoon pay off mm-hmm. and break even in a reasonable amount of time? Uh, the estimates I've heard are 2,000 cows. Mm-hmm. If you have enough gas that equates to approximately 2,000 cows, then the whole system makes economic sense. And when I say it makes economic sense, I mean it will break even in a few years. You have guaranteed prices for about 10 years, and, and that makes a lot of financial sense to many. If you have questions along those lines, I recommend that you talk to dairy producers in California who have done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them are very open about their experiences. All of the ones I have talked to will report of having made very good experiences. 50% of all cows in California will produce manure that will end up producing biogas in the next three years. 
that's fascinating perspective from deep within the dairy industry. So what do you see in the years to come? How do you think we're truly going to minimize the dairy industry's contributions to these warming gases? In the years to come, we will have a combination of improved soil carbon sequestration, mm -hmm. making soils a sink for greenhouse gases. That's one side. Then reduction of enteric emissions, that's reduction of belching through feed additives and through carbon capture from our manure storage systems. And the combination of these approaches will lead the United States dairy industry to be climate neutral by the year 2041. Wow. 2041, we will be climate neutral. This is not some kind of greenwashing, creative accounting. This is a number I will hang my head on. I know that we can achieve this. I encourage your listeners to not think negatively about this whole uh, complex of greenhouse gas mitigation and climate change and take it from me. We do produce greenhouse gases. These greenhouse gases do cause global warming, but the amount we produce is much less than is publicly stated. We now know how much it is. It's 2%. That doesn't mean we can rest on our laurels. It means we still have to reduce further. And my proposal to you is to define a goal, which in my opinion should be climate neutrality, and then assign milestones to achieving that. And we have outlined in this paper that you are citing how to do that. And I'm very bullish. We will get there. I want to really make sure everybody understands that this topic that we are talking about, which they view as a threat, right. it is only a threat. It's only a liability if you ignore it, if you don't understand it, if you don't do anything about it. But it doesn't have to be a problem. You can make it into an opportunity. You can turn the methane into money, not just to improve your environmental performance, but to generate additional income streams. Mm -hmm. I mean, who in their right mind wouldn't do that? Right. It's an opportunity for sure. It's exciting to think about the possibility of, of not only reaching our goal, but blowing past it. If we can reach that climate neutrality at nine years prior to a goal is is fantastic. And I know that dairy producers understand the value of their manure, but this is a little bit different. Dairy cattle manure is the most ideal consistency and to capture the energy from that system. Thank you so much for your time. It's been very informative. And listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day today to learn about what you can do at the farm level to help this industry-wide goal. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and this has been the September edition of the Dairy Science Digest, a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles in press because it's sound science that you can base your management decisions around provided by your University of Missouri Dairy Team. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Bluell with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.